As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Greetings and welcome back to One True Pod, brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Get your TV together with the best of live and on demand. Learn more at directtv.com. We are the Big 12 Podcast here on the Andy Staples Show and Friends Podcast feed. Thanks as always for listening. My name is Jason Kersey. I'm joined as always by my good friends Max Olson and Sam Kahn Jr. Uh, we're going to talk today about the new college football playoff rankings. We're going to talk about TCU and the massive news that Gary Patterson has been fired after 21 seasons. And we're going to get more into that with Joel Anderson of Slate.com. He currently hosts the Slow Burn podcast. He's a former TCU player, formerly covered college football for ESPN. Uh, so we'll get to Joel here in a little bit. But starting off, guys, how are we doing today? Max, Sam? I'm good. It's uh, that time where we get all angsty about college football playoff rankings. And I had my plenty of doses of angst on Tuesday night. So... I'm ready and fired up to talk about why I'm upset about some of these rankings. <laughs> Beautiful. We we got a lot to cover today, so just, you know, no no monkey business. You know? <laughs> can we, can we that? Uh yeah, we'll try to avoid that topic today, but that provided you know, some pretty it, high quality it, entertainment it, it's, the other day. It's night. like they always say, you know, uh mo monkey mo problems, you know. What a <laughs> what a what a moment on Twitter that was though, you know. It's it's one of the funniest things that it's one of the funniest college football stories I've followed late night, you know, in a while. And I feel like things like that tend to happen in our sport. So it was it was a good dose of entertainment. But if you don't know what that is, just Google it. You'll find it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But let's get to the important stuff, guys. The college football playoff rankings, uh, the first college football playoff rankings were released last night by the committee. Oklahoma, number eight. Although they, even though they are nine and zero, they're at number eight. Um, another team that we're interested in here on One True Pod is Cincinnati, future Big Twelve member, comes in at number six, and uh, things don't look promising for their uh, prospects moving forward. Oklahoma State is at eleven, Baylor's at twelve, BYU at fifteen. Those are sort of the teams we cover here on this show uh, and their rankings, guys. Let's just start with that. Uh, Max, what was your reaction to the uh, to the inaugural playoff rankings? Um, you know, I 
I don't feel like uh, my wife asked me like right before the show started, like, well, what do you think it's going to be? What's the top five? And I was just like, I don't know, like two to eight. Like, I don't, I don't really know how this is going to go. Um, you know, I, I think that um, there's parts of it you'd like to see and parts of it you just don't really totally get. You have to kind of remind yourself that this is pretty inconsequential, you know, especially with the amount of upsets we've had just week to week in this season that, you know, this is just a starting point here and it's going to probably look very different next week. But, um, you know, I have, I have some hot takes. I don't think Alabama should be that high. I just don't, I just don't get that. Um, I think the Cincinnati thing, not surprised. Um, I think they had to sort of keep Oregon ahead of Ohio state and they did that, but that put Cincinnati in kind of a weird spot here where, you know, are you, are you four or are you, are you six there? And, um, you know, I, the AAC outrage, I, I feel like that's the real loud thing from last night. And, and I don't know. Do you guys think that if they had just thrown them a bone and put Houston or SMU or both at the bottom of that top 25, that maybe people wouldn't be quite so worked up about it? Yeah, I think to me, more troubling than Cincinnati at six. I, I understand Cincinnati at six to a degree because when I look at the wins and losses on the schedule, that the Notre Dame win is deserving of a, of a high ranking, but the rest of the schedule, as much as everybody wants to bash on Gary Barter for saying it, it's true. The, the rest of the schedule is not great. That said, the rest of everybody else's schedule after their one big win isn't great either. I mean, Ohio State, after the win over Penn State. Well, the, I mean, Ohio no State's wins. best win is Penn State, and that's about it. Yeah, Yeah, and after that, it's and then they have a loss, of course. So so that, that I think, frustrates me. But more frustrating than the Cincinnati thing was the fact that Houston and SMU are not in the top 25, especially when we look at three lost teams like Wisconsin or Mississippi State. They're, they're putting Minnesota and Wisconsin, you know, in, in and 20 and yeah. 21. They put Iowa still in there at 22. Like, I mean, I get that the Big Ten's been great this year. Um, and, you know, you, you, whoever wins that league or the two teams at the end of that in Indy are very good teams. But, like, they're, they're going – I thought that was quite a departure from the AP polls, you know? Yeah, and and so the thing that kills Cincinnati in this is that unless SMU and Houston magically pop up in the rankings next week before Cincinnati plays SMU on November 20th, there is no chance for a top 25 win for Cincinnati the rest of the way. Now, I guess SMU is the only team left on the schedule that has a chance to be ranked, and then Houston could be a potential conference champion uh, conference championship opponent. Now, if Houston does get to the conference championship and they finish 11-1, they will be in the top 25. Yeah, right. And that will be a good win. But the SMU thing, it's unfortunate, and I don't know if they're going to find a way to get in, but it, it hurts Cincinnati's ability because it's the circular reasoning of, well, we're rewarding these teams for top 25 wins. Well, if you don't put the opponents that Cincinnati's going to have in the top 25, then you can dock them for saying they don't have top 25 wins. I, and I think I, at the end of the at the end of the year here, if SMU is a 10 and two team and Houston is um, an 11 and two team, I think they probably should both be in the final top 25 from what I've seen from them week to week. Like they, these aren't like you can knock Houston's schedule if you want, but like these are not teams that are just playing super easy slates here and rolling through. Like I think, I think from the watching them quite a bit, like these are both quality teams that you hope that, oh, if they lose to, you know, if SMU loses to Cincinnati, they shouldn't, you, you shouldn't act like, oh, they have no chance of ever getting back in the 25 here. 
Yeah, and I was there on Saturday night. Yeah. By the way, best one of the best finishes of the year. Uh, Marcus Jones returning the kick 100 yards in the final 20 seconds. Those are two good teams. Yeah, yeah really. SMU's good. offensive skill. I mean, we talk. We're, you know, they're talking about Gary Barnes over here talking about these teams. SMU with Tanner Mordecai and all those receivers, tremendously talented. Houston's defense, fantastic defensive front. Clayton Toon played really, really well on Saturday night. So these are two good teams. And I, yeah, I, so that to me, I think was the most frustrating part. The Oklahoma thing, them being at eight, I understood because yeah. they haven't looked good and their schedule hasn't been great either. Their best wins are Kansas State, Texas, and Texas Tech. But so that stood out to me as well. I, I was actually, I would say, impressed by where the committee put Oklahoma because I think Oklahoma is right where they belong at this point. Yeah, I think the Oklahoma ranking is, is, uh, justifiable and fair at this point. I, I do question a little bit them being behind Michigan. I mean, I, I would say Michigan, I'm not sure what Michigan's quality win is this year. If Oklahoma doesn't have one, I don't really know that Michigan has one either. Um, they both played Nebraska. They both played Nebraska close. I mean, I think that's, I a, think it's just Wisconsin, right? I mean, is that it? I guess. Yeah. I, I guess that would yeah. have to be it. Wisconsin at five and three. The, the one thing that is working in Michigan's favor, and I will tell you from sitting in that room, for this mock selection is wins over teams that are above 500 of which they have three. Now, two of them are Western Michigan, Northern Illinois, uh, but right. their, their overall record of the FBS. Wins Washington's they have not helping them much. You know? No, no, they're four and four, but Michigan third, their opponents that they've beaten are 30 and 27. Uh, OUs are 26 and 40. Yeah. So that's, that's, I think where the committee puts Michigan ahead, even yeah. though Michigan has a loss. Yeah, Oklahoma's... <laughs> which, which is funny because Tulane and Nebraska like played so well against them, you know? Like some Tulane, of these nose-diving teams. Guys, Tulane is 1-7. <laughs> Tulane uh, is 1-7 and, and almost beat Oklahoma and Norman. Yeah. Unbelievable. Um, but no, I, I think generally the, the ranking is justifiable. I mean, Oklahoma, their their signature win this year is Texas, uh, a Texas team that's 4-4. Four and four. Um, They're only two... Uh, wins over ranked or ranked teams with winning records are Kansas State at five and three, Texas Tech at five and four, which has fired its coach. So it's you know it's not like they bring an impressive resume into this right now. Now that's going to get better as we move forward. They've got number eleven uh, Oklahoma State and number twelve Baylor and Iowa State coming up, and then they'll have a rematch against one of those. So as I wrote this uh, last night for the Athletic, the the Sooners will be fine if they keep winning. They're going to get in. I, I don't really see a way they don't get in if they keep winning. Now, every time they've made the playoff in the past, they've done so with one loss. I don't know if that's possible this year for them. And, and you know, one thing that always matters at the end of this, um, at, you know, the, the, the morning after the conference title games is, you know, how many of the teams you beat still end up in the 25 at the end of it, right? And in this case, um, I think Baylor, even if they Baylor loses to Oklahoma, is going to stay in the top twenty-five because they have the win over BYU and and some quality wins. Like I think that 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 probably will help Oklahoma if you can beat Baylor in Waco. Um, that Baylor's going to, I think, still be perceived as a top twenty-five team, and you probably would say that about Oklahoma State as well. And and you know when you get down to it, if Oklahoma did win out and get to that conference title game, you know, they need Oklahoma State and Baylor to keep winning. But don't you think the Big 12 title game is probably, what, at worst a top 15 matchup, I would think? Yeah. Yeah, probably so. Oklahoma or Baylor, one of those teams, I think, would be in that in that ballpark going into the Big 12 title game. So, yeah, it's... I think they'd still be in the chance. 8 to 15 range. I would I would think so. Yeah. You know? yeah. Oklahoma State, too, if they're the, the other team. They're, they're right there as well. 
But you're right. Oklahoma has a, a big advantage when it comes to opportunity here. Um, and that is, you know, look at the other conferences. I mean, Oregon's not going to play a ranked team until maybe Utah and Utah's five and three. Um, and they'll probably get Utah again in the conference title game. Um, you know, UCLA and, and Arizona state, um, fading is a problem for Oregon, I think. Um, and Stanford continuing to lose is a problem for Oregon. Um, in the ACC, you have, you know, Wake Forest has got to go play North Carolina, NC state and Clemson all in a row here. And that, you know, that might, that alone might take care of them. But, um, you know, if they went out, then you've got a win, one win over ranked team with against NC state, I think. And, you know, if you get to the ACC title game, you know, against Pitt or Virginia or, or shoot, maybe even Miami, like, you know, is that team a top 25 team? So um, you look at those and then, and then as we mentioned with the AAC, Cincinnati doesn't have, you know, the opportunity that Oklahoma has in terms of getting to play top 10, top 12 kind of teams. Um, and, and I think, I'm not saying Oklahoma is going to win out. It's, you make an interesting point though, Jason, like Sam, if, if they, if OU does drop one of these, and certainly we've seen this scenario play out too, where if say OU drops it, but then makes it up in the you know conference title game, potentially, is one loss Oklahoma you know just a little too far out of this? Yeah, I think so. I think when you start at eight, if they lose one of these two to Baylor, Oklahoma State, they probably drop below ten. So if they beat one of them on the way out and win in the Big Twelve championship, I think their ceiling's probably around six. I can't see them getting in. I think where they're starting, and again, I go back to their schedule, 26 and 40. They're, they're eight FBS opponents. That's killing them right now. That's why they are where they are in the in the rankings. So, yeah, I think I think if they lose, even if they win the Big 12 title, I think a 12-1 and one Oklahoma probably gets left out unless there's massive chaos ahead of them and some of these teams that are above them lose a couple games down the stretch. Oh, really, really quick to bring it back to Cincinnati. I, I said a few weeks ago that I didn't think the committee would have the guts to put them in the playoff. And now I believe that even more. I, I just don't think it's ever going to happen. I think what the American commissioner said last night, you know, grandstanding or not was, was accurate. It is a power five invitational. That's, that's been made very clear. I mean, what we hear from these people all the time as well. If you want to have a chance, schedule somebody. Well, they did that. And then they beat that team in their home stadium. They beat a good Notre Dame team in their home stadium. What else are they supposed to do? I I, I mean, I, yeah, you know, I just, if they had, if they had just like scheduled Alabama and Ohio state also this year, <laughs> that, that would have been a good move on their part. You know, it's a shame they didn't think to do that. Right. It's a shame they haven't lost a bowling green. Um, yeah. I mean, the, and, uh, and, and I'm not even saying, I mean, I could I think you can make the case that Cincinnati, you know, their schedule doesn't put them in that same category. I just think that let's stop pretending like they have a chance yeah. when they don't. Here's what here's what I'll say, Jason and Max, and I'm gonna take a little bit of a different route here, and it's actually probably unexpected. I actually don't come away super panicked about Cincinnati for this reason. The highest a group of five team has ever been in the college football playoff rankings before last night was seventh. Cincinnati starting at sixth, and we know there's going to be some losses along the way. There's good. We've already seen how this season has gone. There's been some chaos. I have to imagine there's going to be some losses on the way out. If for, I mean, obviously at one and two, you're going to have probably Georgia and Alabama playing each other. Alabama probably, if they make it in the SEC title game, is probably going to lose. Now the question is, will they drop far enough to get Cincinnati in? Probably not. But some of these other teams that are above Cincinnati in the rankings, Oregon. 
I mean, they haven't looked lights out. There's a chance they, you know, they could lose up down the stretch. Michigan State looks good right now, but who knows? I think I, I'm going to choose to say that if Cincinnati can go 13 and 0, and SMU and Houston finish strong and somehow finish in that top 25, I think they do still have a shot because of the where they're starting. They're starting at six, and I think there is a chance to move up. Uh, I don't think this is the ceiling for them. Uh, but that's just me maybe being a little gullible and a little optimistic no, I, I agree and a little you. hopeful. I agree with you. I, here's here's the bottom line, too, when you talk about the resume. Look, the resume for Cincinnati is not going to be they dominated everyone they play. It's going to be, oh, they went 13-0 against a, a very good schedule, and they beat Notre Dame. And right now, Notre Dame is 10th. Let me, let me read off Notre Dame's remaining games. Navy, at Virginia, which might be the only kind of like coin toss game there, Georgia Tech, and Stanford. Okay, Notre Dame's going 11-1. And Notre Dame's going to be in a New Year's Six Bowl. So that is going to continue to prop up Cincinnati as it should. Because that wasn't a, oh man, it just came down to a field goal at the last minute kind of game against Notre Dame. Cincinnati beat them. Straight up beat them. And uh, I and Notre Dame has looked good ever I mean, they've offensively have started to figure it out now. And, and they've looked better since. And so um, I'm with you, Sam. Like I, th- I think that that is the chip that... Cincinnati has that uh, that past G five teams haven't had. Now there's also there's still no room for error, and they probably they probably need, need to, style points too. They probably do need some. Yeah, you, I, I think so. But it's like if you watch the Cincinnati team. Like I understand, I think a lot of people are sort of revolting just against the system. You watch Cincinnati, like they're really good. Um, I don't know that I, you watch them and necessarily say like, oh, they're absolutely one of the like three or four best teams in the country yet. But I think the resume is going to be deserving of respect at the end of it. One team that uh, was not included in the college football playoff rankings is TCU. And they, uh, they're major, major, major news this week. And we're going to get into this a little bit more with Joel, but we wanted to talk about it uh, beforehand as well. Uh, TCU fires Gary Patterson and guys, um, even if it felt, I, b- I believe it was a mutual parting of right. ways, Jason. My sincere apologies. Yes. But that that news, even if it was perhaps inevitable, was still shocking because Gary Patterson uh, is is to TCU as Bobby Bowden is to Florida State. I mean, it's it's a um, the idea of him not being the head coach at TCU is is a little bit stunning to me, even if it probably needed to happen. And um, Sam, I'll start with you. I mean, uh, were you, were you shocked by this news that it came when it did? I I was shocked by the timing. I wasn't shocked that it was headed there. And Max can attest to this. The week before word had started to filter out of Fort Worth that TCU was starting to look in this direction. And the day after Texas tech opened up, we started hearing a lot about how TCU was already getting ready for a coaching search. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, and and so I, I think based on that and just based on the trajectory of the season, the trajectory of the last four years, to me it's not terribly surprising because no. they, they've, they're have they 21-22 and 22 in the last four years. They're 13-19 and 19 in Big 12 play since the start of 2018. That is only better than Texas Tech and Kansas. That is not the standard that Gary Patterson set. So essentially, Gary Patterson became the victim of his own success. But the timing is what surprised me because I thought a guy who'd been there 21-plus years as a head coach 24 years overall would have a say in how his tenure ended. Clearly, that's not the case. And I was a little bit surprised that it happened the way it did and that obviously that he's not finishing out the season. And it didn't sound like it went very well on Sunday night. I, I think that – and I just want to clarify. like, So, okay, yeah, we started hearing that stuff last Tuesday – but to me, um, it wasn't like it's not something we put out there at the time because you look at it and you're just like, you know, if they if they find a way to get to a bowl game, maybe Gary Patterson could save his job, right? Like it's it's Gary Patterson, like he, you know, pushing somebody out of his stature of his tenure is a very hard thing to do, you know. And um, you know, we, for years we wondered how is K State going to be able to pull that off with Bill Snyder? Like this, this is a very delicate thing, and. Um, I, you know, I think that, uh, I think we, you know, Sam, you and I were kind of bracing for, it was going to be kind of politically a pretty fascinating thing in the month of November. Well, apparently Jeremiah Devani just said, I'm just going to go <laughs> sit down with him face to face and tell him what's up, you know, <laughs> like, um, look, and I, I, I kind of, you know, I respect it in, in, in some ways that like, you know, as he said, well, what we're going to do, hire a search firm and start searching for a coach behind his back. Like, no, right. I, you know, it's. They decided to do it face to face. You can certainly debate about you know whether that's the fair thing to do to Gary Patterson or whatever. But at the same time, Gary Patterson, you know, like I know Lincoln Riley and others were bothered by the fact that Gary is not finishing out this season. That was Gary's choice ultimately. I mean, I think that they wanted to try and do this in a way where they are celebrating Gary Patterson for the month of November, and that's not how he wanted to go out. Yeah, and I understand it. And here's the thing: let's acknowledge this: is TCU football is where it is because of him because of the success that he had. When he took over, they were five years removed from getting left out of the Big 12 after the Southwest Conference dissolved. They were in the whack. Then they went to Conference USA, and then eventually they got the the invite to the Big 12, largely because he had eight double-digit win seasons in his first 11 years on the job. Took him to a Rose Bowl. They won a Rose Bowl. TCU won a Rose Bowl. Think about that for a minute. Yes. And, and then, of course, in 2014, we're on the cusp of the college football playoff. Uh, they've made a million upgrades to Amon Carter Stadium, got a new football facility about 10 years ago. It's really impressive what they've done. But at the same time, if you've watched that team, and Max, you and I have both seen this team this year, they're missing an edge. They, they, they're they bad defensively, which is his specialty. They're, they're in the bottom 15 nationally in most major defensive categories. And they have a lot of talent on the roster. They look like, to me one of the three best teams in the conference based on talent alone, but it's not translating on the field. And I think 
that speaks to when you combine that with how the last three years have gone, it just isn't going in the right direction. And I think a lot of people around TCU coming into this year, that nobody was putting Gary Patterson on a hot seat watch before the season started. But uh, people who watch this program and who know this program were thinking, if they don't make at least a run and they're not in the mix in November, they don't make a run this year, when are they going to? Yeah. They're they're 124th and out of 130 in stop right now. Like the defensively, like that is you, you would never expect, especially with just the pieces they were returning on defense, for it to be this much of a struggle. And look, I know injuries are a huge part of that. I'm not saying this is all some failure of coaching or recruiting or whatever. Like there's there's a lot of things that go into that. But um, you know, it is it is it is to me like it, it's shocking that it's come to this um, and that this gets handled this quickly. And honestly, I think there's an element of this that, that is similar to Texas tech where it, it's not just the expectation that, you know, you want to go to a bowl game every year. You want to be in top 25 contention. You want to be in the, in, in the mix, as you said, Sam, in November, most years for the big 12 race. But I, I think some of these administrators have gotten a little bit scared by realignment and, and, you know, the, the thing I said about Texas Tech, that they wanted to get into the Pac-12 and they couldn't get in. And, um, you know, they've had to, they had a little bit of a reality check this summer in terms of where their position is and how much things could change if, if there's more of this in, the, in a few years. Um, this is not a good time to be mediocre. And I think you could say that about TCU. TCU has done all the right things over the last decade to build up their football program and, uh, and make it as com- competitive as possible. But... I think they probably look at this and say four straight years of, of being, you know, close to 500 being, being pretty average. Um, it, it's a hard thing to tolerate as, as, as much respect as you have for the head coach and everything he's done. And as much as you want to give him the benefit of the doubt that he's got the solutions to this. Um, I think this was the kind of year with the, the players they had coming back. And I, I, I heard from plenty of people that Gary would, would tell people this is his most talented team in a really long time. I think there was an expectation going into this year that, uh, this team, for a bunch of reasons, just hasn't come anywhere close to meeting. He told me he told me when we sat down in May that he thought this team had the best chemistry it's had since 2010, which was the Rose Bowl team. I mean, the, the stage was set for the expectations. The other thing I'll, I'll touch on the timing here. Jeremiah Donati said early signing day had a lot to do with it, that you want to get your team and your coach set up before recruits come in, uh, which I understand that. But I also I, I'm also interested in the fact that that you have that dynamic and you also have the dynamic, like you said, of Texas Tech making its move. How much of it, in your opinion, is ADs trying to compete each other on this coaching carousel clock, so to speak? <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe there's a little bit of a fear there that, um, you know, as as we've reported in a few different ways, like maybe part of this is looking at the situation here and saying, well, we want Sonny Dykes to be the next head coach at, at TCU. And if we sit, sit back till the end of November, what if he ends up, you know, getting a little itchy and picking Texas Tech and not waiting for this job to open. I mean, I suppose that could be part of it. Um, and honestly, if it's not Sonny Dykes at DCU, like the list of candidates is like, it's not a bad list, but it is a, it's a pretty interesting one in terms of like, what direction do you, do you go in? Um, I think it's a very good job. And I think that, uh, you know, in the new big 12 in a few years, it's potentially the best job of, at least among the remaining eight uh, in, in the big 12 um, in terms of, the support and resources they have there, the state you're in, the the, the players you can recruit in the Metroplex. Um, you know, I, I just think it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's wild to do it this early. It, it, it really is. Um, and I, and I know the way that they played against K-State was part of that. And, and you saw, um, you know, clearly the, the, you know, 
<laughs> that was just not a very competitive game. Jason, you saw them um, in Norman uh, a couple weeks ago. I mean, and I think that that game probably helped put the nail on this a little bit in terms yeah. of just feeling like this team was not going to be very competitive. What did you think of TCU when you saw them live? I mean, their offense looked pretty good, but it was also against an Oklahoma defense that was really struggling. So I don't know exactly how much you make <laughs> of that. Um, but the defense just isn't isn't what we've come to expect from Gary Patterson. And it's almost like when, when the defense stops playing well, I mean, what, what else do you have? I mean, D- Gary Patterson's so known for defense that when the defense is that bad and what'd you say? 124th in stop rate. Is that what you said? I mean, that's, uh, that, that's just not going to cut it. So uh, I'm not surprised. I, I'm not surprised that the TCU has decided to move on. I am surprised by how it happened. And I do think that it's worth mentioning I, I believe this is right, that TCU had won 10 games five times in school history before Gary Patterson, and they've won 10 games 11 times under Gary Patterson. I mean, he is a he is a legend there, and I think he, he should be remembered as such. I remember I was at the game in 2005 when they came to Norman and beat OU, an OU team that had played for the national title two years in a row. That was that was sort of a uh, one of the more memorable, shocking results I've seen in person. I was in college at the time. It was pretty crazy. Um, so, I mean, just an unbelievable career, an unbelievable job. And I hope, I just hope there aren't going to be bad feelings or hard feelings between the two sides. Hopefully Gary Patterson remains like a big part of the TCU program, but we'll see. I, I don't know. Do you I, guys, I, I think he's going to be coaching somewhere else next year. Don't you, Sam? Yeah, I do too. I think this lit a spark and a little fire under him. Not that he doesn't have it. He always has had that. But I think this probably gets him even more motivated to go out there next year and try to get it together somewhere else and, and try to win some football. The, the guy quit his job on fr- on on Sunday night and then showed up to work on Monday. Like he, <laughs> he loves, he loves the grind. He loves the grind of this, you know? And I think that, uh, I don't know. I, it's, uh, it's interesting when you've been a head coach that long, can you, can you sort of be okay with being, you know, not the boss somewhere and like, could, but I could honestly, like if, if he's, fine with that uh, from, you know, from an ego standpoint, like I could see him being a pretty badass defensive coordinator. If Gary Patterson is just game planning and recruiting defensive players and, and, you know, I'm sure he probably wouldn't have to deal with media at all. If you go to some of these places like Alabama, like if he could, if he could just be coaching defense, he probably would be in heaven next year. So I'm, I'm interested to see what his move is here. Um, but this is not, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, you're right. Sam, when you say lightest part, I'm sure there's probably a defiance in him that I'm not retiring. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Donati called him a young sixty-one. What would not to not to break stuff and to make people alarm? But what would you see say if they made a little trade? TCU and SMU. Sonny Dykes to TCU. Gary Patterson to to Dallas to, oh, <laughs> to join the ponies. Awesome. <laughs> no, nothing about that would be not awesome. Uh, <laughs> the iron skillet would be even spicier than it has been. I kind of like that's a that I hadn't thought about that at all. That's. I mean, SMU could do a lot worse for its next head coach than Gary Patterson, I suppose. You know, man, I tell you, <laughs> uh, I, I don't know, man. Maybe after, maybe after what happened this year at Iron Skillet and the uh, seemingly baseless accusations of a helmet hitting Jerry Kill. By the way, Max, nobody asked Jerry Kill, the interim coach, yesterday about whether what happened in that SMU game after the flag plane. No, incident. he he seemed he seemed okay. He seemed pretty lively on the on the on the press conferences. It, it'll be interesting to see. You know, sort of what tweaks they're making too here. With the, I, I, I don't think they're going to throw this season away. I think the staff is going to work hard, and um, you know, and they got Baylor this week. That's the other thing that's like weird about this, right? Is like Gary Patterson not coaching the Baylor game. 
Yeah, it's it's weird. By the way, speaking of Baylor, Dave Aranda was asked about it on Monday at his press conference and said that he told a very funny story that he used to try to find use his Hotmail account back in the day to try to find bootleg videos of Gary Patterson four two five defensive install. And he said he had two tapes and he's still trying to find the other three tapes that are out there. So if you have the three bootleg videos of Gary Patterson's four two five install, Dave Aranda is looking for them. Oh, and and look, that's that's gotta be mentioned too. Like in terms of we're talking legacy stuff, like what, what Gary Patterson um you know, brought to the table in, in in inspiring and influencing a lot of defensive coaches um, with with the way that he ran his defense. And also, I always admired, especially since they came into the Big Twelve, the way that he. I mean, the the guy would turn receivers into corners. He would turn corners into safeties. Was a running turn back, safeties into linebackers. End. You turn linebackers into DNs and safeties into DNs. Like his ability to take take players. And over the course of several years, turn them into, um, you know, freaky good defensive players. I, uh, you know, there he, there are few few that compare, and that that creativity and that ability to um, really stay ahead of the game defensively, especially for how much offenses and to come into this league when you know what you're up against. Um, you know, nothing but respect for um, the the genius of of Gary Patterson. All right, guys. Well, to continue this conversation about Gary Patterson's uh, legacy and about the TCU program, we're going to move into our interview with uh, with Joel Anderson. To continue our conversation about TCU and the end of the Gary Patterson era, we welcome a great friend of ours, Joel Anderson, to the pod. Joel is a staff writer at Slate. He's the host of Season 3 and Season 6 of Slow Burn Podcast, which just dropped this week. He's the co-host of Hang Up and Listen to Slate's weekly sports podcast, former ESPN college football reporter, where he worked with me, and he was once the fastest ten-year-old in America. We can't forget that part. But the reason we have him on today, Joel's a former TCU player, proud Horn Fog, and former running back who Gary Patterson once said had the feet of an offensive lineman. Joel, welcome to One True Pod. How are you, sir? What a bio! I didn't even know I'd, I'd forgotten about some of that stuff. Nobody ever talks about me being the fastest ten-year-old anymore. So uh, you know, I'm glad you brought it up before you brought it to that low, where clearly my feet didn't hold up over the years. <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, I was I was going back and uh, when we were at ESPN, we did that uh, my story thing where we talked about just memories from college football for the 150th anniversary. And I don't remember if I had seen yours, but I went back and watched it last night and saw that story that you told about Gary Patterson telling mm-hmm. you that uh, you were you were just not cut out to be a running back. Uh, yeah. Do you remember much about that? I well, so sort of. Um I remember that. So this is when Coach Francione was the head coach, and actually Gary Patterson was a defensive coordinator at that time. So he was new, you know, fairly to everybody else. And so I'm getting to learning. And uh, I mean, yeah, I think as I mentioned in the story, like I, it was one of these drills. And I, I think it, my feet weren't as bad as I was just out of shape. I was just really tired <laughs> and wasn't doing holding up really well. And uh, Coach P came over and saw it. But you know, the other piece of the story is that. Um, it was pretty clear that I wasn't going to stay at running back if I stayed on the team. And some people were like, man, we need to get Joel over there to play safety because I think we were low on bodies in the defense. That's it. You know, they're not saying that because they want me to be uh, an all conference safety. They were like, <laughs> Oh, we need some more bodies over here. So we, you know, we can do fewer reps during practice. And I was like, Oh hell no. I don't want to play safety. I was like, I'm, I, I don't want to no, not at all. Uh, and I was like, so you know what, let me go pro in something other than sports. 
<laughs> I think right. it worked out okay. Yeah, I think it worked out okay. So Joel, Joel, I know it's been an exciting week for you because you dropped the season six of Slow Burn on the LA riots. You you did the previous uh, season, season three on Tupac and Biggie's death, which I loved. But uh, how have you been? You've been you've been doing well, and and has it been a busy uh, week or busy few weeks here leading up to the launch? Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. You know what I mean? Um, it's like people always say that have done this uh, particular, you know, narrative podcast. And it's like writing a book. But just imagine if you wrote a book and then had to do the audio book at like the same time. And it's all like happening. You know, I don't get to like do it. And then it comes out like I'm doing it as, you know, I'm I'm working on it as it comes out. So it's, it's been extremely busy, but it's a lot of fun. Like it, it's something I signed up to do knowing that it's going to be hard, but it's really rewarding. Um, and, you know, just some of the most rewarding work I've ever done. I'm really excited about the season uh, of Slow Burn. It's something that, like, I personally pitched the, the beginning Tupac season. I didn't pitch that. Like, they asked me if I would wanted to host and, and write that season. But, like, this is something that I've literally have wanted to work on since I was working on season three of Slow Burn. So, um, yeah, man, I'm really excited for people to hear it. Um, you know, like I said, the first episode just dropped on Wednesday, November 3rd, and we got one coming out every Wednesday through the end of the year. So, you know, check it out. You know what I'm saying? I'm not, I'm, 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 I got multitudes, you know, so I follow college football and I've been reading up on the history of LA, you know, dating back to the 1920s for the last few months. So (laughs) that's fantastic, man. Excited, excited to check that out. How, how, so how are you feeling this week about your horn frogs? I mean, I, I know this is. I'm sure it's kind of complicated feelings when you think about the uh, the long tenure um, and the 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 gains that TCU has made throughout Gary Patterson's uh, run there, and then and then certainly comparing that versus the past few years here for for an alum and, and a guy that you know knows GP knows this program so well. How 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 has this felt just since that news dropped Sunday night? Well, this felt like a whirlwind, right? Um, I think I, so. I think when this season started, I don't think anybody thought it would ever uh, unfold in this way, right? Um, and even if you had told me a month ago that it would end this way, that Gary would be forced out, um, I would have, I would have been surprised. But um, you know, I think as much as anything, I'm I'm a little disappointed because it's the end of an era. Like, I, you, your preference would be for the greatest coach in program history, at least since desegregation. Like, your preference would be. I want that guy to leave on his own terms. Like he's done so sure. much uh, for the program to build it, to make this even a story. You know what I mean? Like, T- I, I, like I cannot explain enough to people that when I went to TCU, like nobody gave a sh- Can I curse on this podcast? Sure. Okay. Yeah. Nobody gave a shit about TCU football in 1996. You know what I mean? Like it's just, <laughs> so it's absurd that this is a national story and that people care about it. Um, and so that part of it is sad, but the other part of it is that it's really exciting um, you know, it's a testament to Coach Patterson and what he's done at that program, that he's built it up, that it's a desirable job, that, you know, the, the list of candidates looks a hell of a lot different than it did when Coach Patterson uh, got the job in 2000, uh, you know, 21 years ago. Like it was like Watson Brown and Phil Bennett, which is no disrespect to those dudes, <laughs> but like, you know, the we're looking at a different caliber of candidate at this point, 20 years from now. So it's all a testament to coach P, but um, you know, I, I, I'm conflicted, right? I'm ambivalent. Sure. Like, I just like, I might never, I'm, we might never have a run like this again at TCU football history. Like I've always understood that that's not the historical trend for TCU. It's a fairly mediocre program, 
um, we had this great run and we might never see it again, no matter what happens. Like no matter if we, even if we get a good coach after coach Patterson, it'll, it'll probably never be as good as it was. Um, and so I'm sort of, you know, I'm excited, but I'm also just sort of realizing that like the odds are against us going forward. Yeah. When you, when you look at what has been built uh, over the last 21 years, and I, I talked about it, Max and I and, and Jason talked about it. When Texas and Oklahoma leave the Big 12, this might be the best job in the conference because of its location, the stadium, the facilities, uh, the recruiting base. You know, you're close, you're in DFW, and then you're close to East Texas as well. Uh, so it's, it's a lot of built in advantages. But when you got there, none of this was there. Not, oh. None of all this nice stuff. I mean, I walk through the these suites that they have on the east side of the stadium now, and they look about as good as Texas A&M's. Uh, they, they, none of that stuff was there. What was it like when you first got to oh. campus in the late 90s? Oh, my God. Well, first of all, my first year at TCU was the year after the Southwest Conference breakup. So it was the first year in the WAC. Um, and at that point, I think, let's see, TCU had won a share. It was that year in the Southwest Conference, that weird year with like five teams five or six teams want to share the conference. So like Rice was a co-conference champion. And that was the big deal at TCU. It was like, man, we would love to get back to be seven and four and have a share of the Southwest Conference. Like that was, <laughs> you know, the, I, that was like the best season the TCU had had in like 15 years, right? Um, and so I get there and I, it's tough for me to say, cause I don't, you know, I don't remember like every division one facility at that time. But what I do remember is that it didn't seem all that great we had our locker rooms and we had to walk like three quarters of a mile to the practice field across the street. It was like up a gravel hill and then like walk through like the, the processing plant on campus or something to get to the practice field. And, you know, that just seemed normal. And like, I remember I went back to campus, you know, a few years ago and you just go from the locker rooms and just pop right upstairs, you know, and you're right there on the practice field. Like it's that kind of stuff um that we have now like the facilities just were not the same I mean it, it seemed okay by the standards of the 90s but like it's undeniable that it is like you know I mean millions and millions and millions of dollars have been put into this program and it looks totally different and so like you like you for you to say that TCU has something on par with Texas A&M is unreal like Texas A&M is one of the wealthiest programs in college football and for TCU to have something that's even comparable I can't even explain to you like how different of an experience that is from what we had when we came in in 1996. It wasn't, I mean, I'm not, it wasn't like, you know, you, you know, no D three school or something like that, but it wasn't, it, it wasn't as special as it is now. I would even tell you this, my old high school in Houston, when I went back in like 2001, 2002, like as it was going through renovations, I remember thinking, Oh man, straight Jesuit has better facilities than I had in college. Wow. You know, Wow. So um, it's just, yeah, it, like TCU has come such a long way and people that have not been there that long, they don't, they, they couldn't understand. I mean, they, they have no idea of a world in which TCU football is irrelevant and sort of underfunded and sort of an afterthought. Well, that's, and that's always the hard balance with any of these changes is like, it, it, there's definitely an element of like, man, be careful what you wish for. You think you're at this level as we've seen. You know, with all these, you know, all these programs, Nebraska, Tennessee, you know, Michigan, whatever, it can it can go up or it can go way down. What what has it been like for you as a TCU uh, fan for you and, and your people that love this this program just to, to watch them over these last few years? I mean, I was looking at the numbers in Big 12 games where, um, you know, they're, they're I think 13 and 19 in their last Big 12 games. 
Um, the wins they would win like 33 to 21 on average. The lose the losses they would lose 32 to 20 on average. So it's like you kind of it, sometimes it was hard to tell what team would show up each week. Like what what has it been like for you to just sort of uh, go on this journey with them the past few years? Well, anybody who's been following me on Twitter has known it's been agony. You know what I mean? Like, I, you know, I, I watch the games and I live tweet them and it has been agony for the last three years. And it's not just that, you know, it's not just the losing, but it's looking like really sloppy. Like they mm-hmm. didn't and, and and no disrespect to Coach P. Obviously, he's a great coach, but they didn't look like a well-coached team. Like there'd just be all these stupid penalties, stupid mistakes, um, no growth in the offense. And I don't you know, I don't I try not to, you know point out any particular college athlete, but the offensive play of the last three years, I remember Jalen Rager's last year on campus and I felt so bad for him. Like, I was just like, I totally get it. Like he, like a ball go over his head and he just, you know, get mad and go his fist. And I was like, man, I get it, bro. I'm sorry. I, 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 I understand. I remember uh, when we were doing like the draft prep after that season, I was went back and looking at it right about him. He averaged like five touches a game this last year of the year. They're like, what are they yeah. doing? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I mean, look, and we're sort of going through the same thing with Zach Evans. You know what I mean? Like, you've got this great talent, like, you know, a talent on par with, you know, among the best, most dynamic athletes that have ever been on campus. And you feel like you're not getting as much out of them as you should. And like, that's okay. Like, let's so fine. Like, they're not as great on offense as they were in the Trayvon Boykin era or even the Andy Dalton era. Fine. Okay. But if the defense falls apart in the way that it did, then like, that's totally unsustainable. Like that's the one piece of it. It's like, okay, the defense is doing so well, you know, the offense doesn't, you know, the defense doesn't deserve have to being saddled with this offense, but this year, the defense, and I remember that SMU game, it was just so jarring to see them get blown off the line and SMU run it down our throat. There was some, I run it back. Ulysses, somebody, I don't remember that. Guy Ulysses now, Bentley. But, yeah. Yeah. Ulysses Bentley. And I'm like, who the hell is this dude? You know, <laughs> and, and we're just getting embarrassed. And so it's like when the defense fell apart, you're just like, Oh wow. Like it's the program is rotting. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, this is, I don't know if this is the point of no return and we'll never know, but it just seemed like, okay, like this is bottoming out and we've got to, Figure so like either there needs to be some drastic changes within Coach Patterson's program or it needs to be somebody else's program. But it didn't seem sustainable, especially as you know, we're in this tumult now. Like the entire college football is realigning and TCU so as it is, sort of now is sort of on the outside. Like the Big 12 is not guaranteed whatever however things settle in the next decade or so, there's no guarantee that the Big 12 is going to be involved in that. And so it, like TCU cannot afford to be mediocre or worse. For too much longer so that was kind of like my thought I, you're like well i hope that we figure something else out to do because it can't keep looking like this forever yeah it was interesting you mentioned that smu game i i, I mentioned earlier I, I was there that day and i was stunned how bad they looked defensively yeah. uh the lack of intensity 350 for, rushing yards smu to run the ball down your to down i mean like that is our pride like yeah, for, t- for smu to take our pride like that on our home field a- a- after like the was, game i think smu their player of the week was seven offensive linemen because they just knew that they'd beat their ass <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean that was jarring it was yeah. it was totally jarring and i felt like it helped to get SMU overrated a little bit. We don't have to get into that, but I feel like SMU was a little overrated for that victory over a team that we found out is actually not that good. But um, yeah, it just 
for Gary Patterson's defense to look like that, like it, 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 it signifies some sort of ride. Now you could understand like the B. John Robinson thing. I was like, okay, that guy's a generational talent. If that, if he puts up almost 200 on you, fine. But, uh, Ulysses, I think there's some other guy it's named. It's nice Stump. to hear you say nice yeah. things about Bijan, by the way. That's 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 good. Oh, you don't see that on Twitter so much. I'm a huge, I'm a huge, I'm a huge. <laughs> uh, I can admit when UT has good players. Like Vince Young is one of my favorite players of all time. No, no. Yeah, that, yeah. That, H Town. Yeah, that program though. <laughs> that program with its petting zoo. Nah, um, <laughs> um, you know, nah, <laughs> nah, they on their own. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh so you you kind of alluded to it, the 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 uncertainty that lies in realignment. And Jeremiah Donati, the athletic director, mentioned that when he was talking about it on Tuesday about the change about where TCU needs to position itself. So when you look at and, and I know you and I have had a lot of texts. It, you've been advocating for Hugh Freeze for some time for back maybe a <laughs> yeah, month I can't ago. You're telling people that out loud. Oh my god! Uh, you can't uh, give that away for good. Well, I only what? I think uh, I only did that because you tweeted about it. Also, yeah, okay, yeah. And I want to hear the Dion pitch too. Yeah, but but what what's the direction you think <laughs> this program needs to go? Obviously, they're looking for new blood. But but what are, what do you see as that where this program needs to go in your opinion? Well, I mean, I think we, you know, I heard uh, Jeremiah Donati say that, you know, he's looking for an offensive guy since we've had a defensive guy. And I just don't necessarily believe in that paradigm. Like, I don't like that's all that's like the cliche thing that that people say. Well, we had a defensive guy. We need to get an offensive guy. We had an offensive guy. We got to get a defensive guy. We had a player's coach. We need to get a hard ass. We had a hard ass. We need to get a player's coach. I'm like, I just want you just get the best possible candidate that you can possibly get. Like, I don't yeah. I don't get looking at coaching searches in that way. And which is why. I don't know, like maybe I'm open to the concept of having coach Deion Sanders. Um, and I mean, for people that have followed me on Twitter and you all know that um, this is sort of an out of the box thing. Like I'm not a huge fan of Deion Sanders. I didn't, I wasn't excited about him being named head coach at Jackson state. Um, you know, I, I don't like what he did at prime prep and some of those other schools, you know, the, the other high schools in the Dallas area, but I can't deny that at least what he's done proof of concept at Jackson state, pretty damn good. The seven and one undefeated in conference play. Um, last year, he had the fifth, at least if you believe two, four, seven, the website, if you believe their recruiting rankings they had the 55th ranked recruiting class in the country. Okay. You know, it was 53 TCU. TCU. Wow. Right. And, 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 and Jackson State, like, I cannot explain to you all. Um, I mean, Jackson State HBCU, Proud tradition, four Hall of Famers, great program, but the, it's not comparable like what those two schools are offering in terms of facilities, resources, all this other stuff. And for Dion to pull that off, even though one of his recruits, the four stars, was his son, yeah. uh, uh, I mean, that's unbelievable. And he's shown an ability to convince, you know, some four stars to give a HBCU a chance. He's pulled in some transfers from the SEC. So we know that he's got some familiarity around the transfer portal. Um, and, you know, I mean, he's sort of a DFW institution. Like he played for the Cowboys for I think five or six seasons. He's lived there, filmed his reality show there. He's 
recruited there, all this stuff. Like he's got a real strong base there. And I know that he would get attention for our program, which I think is something we need, um, you know, to get some national headlines, get some pub in there. You all tried to, you all have tried to cover TCU. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, you know what it's like trying to get access there and public publicize the players there and, you know, make them into national stories or whatever. So I'm like, like that part of it is what excites me about me for Dion. Like it will be exciting. It will bring some attention. And even if it, fall, it falls apart, like let's just say, you know, we visit this in 2023. Well, hell, Willie Taggarton, you know what I mean? Char- Chad Morrison, get, we can move on, but at least like, let's try something unique and different and distinguish ourselves from other schools. I'm, I'm no, no offense to Sonny Dykes, Jeff, Jeff Trailer, whoever the hell, I'm sure they'd be fine, but I want to take some big swings. And I think that's what you should do. Like you shouldn't take for granted that TCU is always going to be a national player or like a relevant program. And like, this is another way to try it. And if it doesn't work too bad, but we can change course in two years. The media attention part is interesting because yeah, you and I have talked about that. Uh, Zach Evans has been available once since he's been on campus Man. to the media, Man. Uh, which I also found now, interesting. Wait, it, I mean, now, I mean, look, I love Zach. He's one of the best players. I get what people say with that. I also, I can understand what, because you, we, I mean, we've talked about him since he was in North Shore. North man. Shore, you yes. Like, yeah. I mean, I, now maybe that's for his own good. I don't know if they've been protecting him for his own good, but yes, you're right. But he has not gotten the pub of a player of his caliber. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. And, I'm sorry. And, and so, so I think, I think there is something to that, that the idea of getting this program a little bit more in the spotlight because Gary has kind of run it in a cloak of silence and secrecy for a long time because of just his paranoia and general coach paranoia, which I think even, uh, it's common across the industry, but I would say even for Gary, it's probably elevated, you know, more than most. So uh, that's interesting. Are there any other guys other than Dion that you look at and say, hey, this guy would be a good fit? Or, there, or there's a report out there now. They're looking at Jay Norvell. They're looking at um, Tony Elliott from Clemson. I, I'm mm-hmm. curious to see kind of, it, it, you know, and especially with so much time throughout the month of November here, I guess we'll be interested to see if there's some twists and turns in this one. I'm not excited about hiring like a coordinator. Okay. Even if it's from Clemson. And I mean, I look, I, I'm not big into one season sample sizes, but uh, Clemson's offense, this maybe is not the year to make the case that that's the dude that you should bring in if you're TCU. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. uh, in, in terms of excitement, like I think Billy Napier has run a really good program there in Louisiana. Um, you know, I mean, I don't, I won't get excited about any of these dudes if it's not Dion. Like, I will accept them. <laughs> and I think that they would do well. But, like, yeah, Billy Napier, you know, uh, the, 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 the dude at Coastal Carolina, Jamie Chadwell. Um, you know, I mean, I'll, I, 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 what's the nice way to say this? I think what Sonny Dykes has, has done at SMU is a little overrated. Like, I think he's a good coach. I think they're okay. But, like, I just, you know, he was a head coach at Cal, and I know that wasn't necessarily a great fit for him for a number of reasons, but I mean, he's had his opportunities and it's not, no, nobody will ever mistake him with Nick Saban. You know what I mean? So uh, I, I, I mean, I, I could probably get behind any of these guys. They want to bring in Chris Peterson. Fine, whatever, do it. But uh, I'm, I'm on this Dion thing now. You know what I mean? <laughs> and and uh, I, that, that's, that's what I want. I want us to take big swings. I want us to try something different. Um, Cause I, I just, I, I think that that, you know, this program has been, in the wilderness for a little too long. And I mean, you're not going to get guys. You know, Gary Patterson is begging people to pay his players uh, and do the business. You could help, you can help promote your players. You can help connect them to money. Um, 
like that's part of your job now. That's part of the coach's job. Like you got to figure out your 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 role in this new paradigm. And I For think sure. that Deion Sanders understands that a hell of a lot better than uh, Coach, coach Patterson or a lot of these other dudes do. Yeah, and Donati mentioned that when he talked on Tuesday. He said we need a modern coach who understands all this and and will lean into that, which I think to some degree was missing under GP. One last one. I'm curious. I mentioned this earlier on the pod. What would your be your reaction if TCU hired Sonny Dykes and SMU hired Gary Patterson? Oh, man. Oh, <laughs> God. I don't even. I didn't. Is that is that something that people are talking? No, heard? no. It's I just a hypothetical I, okay, that I've oh thrown out. Oh my God. Okay. Uh, no, I mean, no, no, no. You know, so I do like the idea of crippling SMU. You know what I mean? And making them uh, <laughs> a non-entity again. Uh, that's what they deserve. Um, Coast, I just that is so strange. Like I, I didn't even thought about that. Well, uh, and that's going to be part of this, right? Is like you're going to see GP wearing somebody else's yep. polo yeah. next year. He's coaching next yeah. year. Yeah, he, yeah. He, he's, he clearly still has the fire. I've heard somebody somebody mentioned yesterday that he like he's a candidate for Tech or something like that, and I was just like, I, I, I don't know, man. I mean, it, look, if I believe Coach Patterson probably still has a lot more in him, a lot more to offer the game. I wish him well. I'm sure that he will do well wherever he is, and I'll just have to get over it. Like what, the, th- the sad thing, and I shouldn't say it like this, but this is the reality of the business. Once Coach P is gone, I'm gonna be rude against him, bro. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like he has he he has this he has this statue. His legacy is secure. Nothing that's happened in the last three years is something that is unforgivable. We will always be grateful to him at TCU. We understand what he did for that program is is essentially unprecedented. Every program that's not currently in the Power Five wants to be TCU. Like he, like he pulled off the miracle. That is the dream for all these schools that are like moving around and switching from Sun Belt to Conference USA and moving up from FCA. I mean Sam Houston State, but whatever. But you know what I'm saying? Like that is the dream for all these other programs. He he did his business at TCU. We would never take that away from him. If he wants to go somewhere else and coach. Good for him, but I'll root I'll root root against him, man. As soon as he as soon as he starts coaching somewhere else, and coaches if he coaches SMU, I sure as hell will root against him. I promise you that. So, yeah. That is well said. Yeah, Joel Anderson, a former TCU player, staff writer, slate host of season six of the Slow Burn podcast on the LA Riots. Joel, thanks for joining us on One True Pod, man. Really enjoyed having you. Oh, my pleasure. Anytime, fellas. Love your work. All right, thanks again to Joel Anderson for for joining the podcast. And now, guys, on to our favorite part of the week. Well, Sam's favorite part of the week. My favorite part. Uh, We're going to do our picks. And uh, just a quick update of the standings. Uh, Sam is just crushing it. And honestly, if you're not, by this point, betting based on Sam's picks, you're probably doing it wrong. Sam, at 42 and 28 on the season, I'm at an even 500 at 35 and 35. I've had a couple of really rough weeks. And then Max, uh, Max, you're hanging in there. You're only three behind me now at 32 and 38. So you're, you're catching Max up. Max is creeping. The, the, ra- creeping. the race to 500, guys. We're, 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 we're trying to get there. Yeah. He was 10 and 21 at one point. So now, since then, 21 and 17 since hey. that point. Hey, look at that. 22 and 17. I'm sorry. So that's pretty pretty good run since that awful start yeah. to make a we comeback got, and make it. We got an some work here. to do here. We got some work to do. Let's get after it. Well, first of all, let's just address there's one game we won't be picking this week that that is that involves a future Big 12 team, BYU 
hosting Idaho State uh, at 2.30 on ESPN3 on Saturday. Um, there's no line on that game, so we're not going to count that towards the standings, but wanted to address it. Um, all right, let's uh, let's start with TCU. Uh, TCU hosting Baylor. TCU under new interim coach Jerry Kill hosting Baylor, which is a seven-point favorite. Max, I'll start with you. I would I would love it if you would start with Sam on each of these, and then I'm just gonna say whatever Sam says. <laughs> but and you then can't... that is gonna be how I catch up in this. Not not catch up to him, but catch up to being 500. Oh, you know? okay, I see. Yeah. yeah. So uh, <laughs> Sam, Sam, go ahead. What you got? This one's tough because Baylor seven point on the road seems kind of big, and I know TCU's been through all the upheaval without Gary Patterson, but they have enough talent to make any game interesting. So I'm hesitant, even though I think Baylor is by far the better team and more consistent. And I love the way I saw them in person last week against Texas. I love the way they run that offense with Jeff Grimes. But I just think TCU's got enough talent to make this thing interesting. And I think they're going to play loose. Everything's coaching change has been made. They can go out and have fun. They've got nothing to play for at this point. I mean, they're gonna, they could try to get to a bowl game, but they're not. They're out of the Big 12 championship race. I'm going to say TCU covers. I think Baylor wins and they they stay. Uh, in the Big 12 title race, but I think TCU covers the seven. I'm going to take the Horn Frogs plus seven here. It is hard to picture like what is the dynamic there of like you take Gary Patterson off the sideline. Does that? I mean, and you've and and also you're plugging in an experienced head coach, you know, into this role. I you know like uh, it, that's why this midseason stuff is just so strange. Making these moves now, you know. Um, because I think if Gary Patterson were coaching and, and this was like a playing for your job situation, like they probably would bust their asses and maybe even win this game, you know? So I, I don't know, like the for the, whole, the whole mental part of this, I don't, I don't know what to make of it. Um, I'll take Baylor covering the seven. Um, and, but I agree. I don't, I don't think TCU is going to collapse in this one. I'm also going to take Baylor um, to cover it just, just feels like I mean I, I've just been so impressed with Baylor this year. I, I really think they're going to go into that Oklahoma game next weekend. Man, that's going to be a massive, massive game uh, down in Waco. Uh, all right, next up we got Oklahoma State, a three-point favorite at West Virginia. Mountaineers coming off a big win. Oklahoma State obviously ranked number eleven in the playoff uh, standings. Per Max's wishes, let's start with Sam. We don't have to do that. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to put me on the spot every time yep. here. Uh, this one's another tricky one because West Virginia, nice win last week at home against Iowa State. They're back home uh, in Morgantown. They're, they're, I feel like they're always tough to play there. But Oklahoma State, I mean, they, need, they need every win they can get here because they're still right here in the thick of the Big 12 title race. I'm going to take Oklahoma State to go take care of business and get on the road. I know it's tough. I think it's tough to go on the road and win, especially in this particular situation. But I trust I trust Cowboy, Cowboys, and I think they're going to go ahead and cover here and win. This is such it's such an important spot here for for Neil Brown and his staff as they build up this program. Is you know just trying to have some consistency of when you go have a big win like that against Iowa State. Can you go do it the next week? You know, can you go play that level, play that way the next week? And so I'm really interested to see how West Virginia shows up for this one. And yeah, I'll take Oklahoma State covering the three, but I think you saw a lot of things last week that made me think, like, yeah, I think there's a chance that West Virginia could win this game. And this is, you know, not not the most fun time of year to go out to Morgantown. 
Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna be different on this one. I'm gonna take West Virginia. Um, I I just think they're they're coming off a big win. The game's in Morgantown, Oklahoma State. I still just don't quite know what to make of Oklahoma State. They keep winning for the most part, obviously, other than a couple weeks ago. Um, I still like that team a lot. I still think they're really good, but um, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick the upset here. I'm gonna pick the the Mountaineers. Um, all right, next up, a really interesting game: Texas at Iowa State. Uh, the Cyclones, a six and a half point favorite, another team, actually two teams that I have no idea what to make of really, if you think about it. Um, so, uh, who wants to, who wants to take this one first? I'll take it. I, I, I cannot, Texas is at a point where, and, and I chose, I took Baylor to cover last week and felt good about it. Uh, never once in that game, despite Texas's lead, double digit lead in the second half, never once did I thought the Longhorns were going to win that game and they have to prove it to me. They have to show me that they can do this in order to win. So I, until they prove it to me, I'm taking Iowa State minus six and a half. It's clones to cover. Man, why am I like, I, I feel inclined to disagree with you today, Sam, when really I need to just follow your, co- I need to ride the coattails here. But um, this is your chance to catch up to him, Max. So that's not going to happen. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think I'm going to say that too. I'm, I'm going to go Iowa State. Covering the six and a half, it feels like too many points. Um, I, you know, it's been an interesting week, Sam, in Austin. Uh, I, I, I think that this <laughs> week was inevitable that there would be a week when people would reckon with. So is this Herman's fault or is this Sark's fault? And I, and I'm seeing a lot of that going on after after you know another look, another tough second half for for Texas. Um, I don't know how Texas is going to show up this week. I, I, I mean, I, I don't, they could go play their best game. Wouldn't surprise me. And they could go play a super close game to Iowa State, lose by three, lose by seven. Wouldn't shock me in, in the least. So I, I think this is a big one for Sark to, you know, uh, <laughs> put some put some, put some some gas back in the tank here, get this thing back on the road. Um, but I think I, I think I like Iowa State to, uh, you know, cover the six and a half and, I'm, I'm sure at some point here we're going to have to have that conversation, that reckoning of is this on Herman or is this on Sark? But look, that's tradition in year one at Texas. You know, you got to blame the last guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm also going to go with Iowa State. Uh, Texas just uh, based on the some of these recent performances, it's really hard for me to, to take the Longhorns. Last uh, current Big 12 game that we have to pick this week is the uh, battle for the Sunflower State, Kansas State at Kansas. Um, Kansas State, a 23-and-a-half-point favorite. W- w- what are we going to do with this one, guys? What what line would be too high in this game, you think? Like 23-and-a-half doesn't really seem all that high to me. Are you going to talk yourself into picking Kansas to cover? No, I'm just saying, like, how big of a favorite would K-State have to be where you would say, I, I must pick Kansas? Oh, oh, I see. Okay, okay. Um, 30, like 32. 32, 35, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah that range. I like K-State to cover it. Um, and uh, yeah, just defensively, Kansas is just having a really hard time, as you would expect, especially with the, the attrition they had this offseason of, of some of their starting players on defense. Um, defensively, they, they've been, you know, been it's been it's been pretty rough in conference play, and I think that'll continue this week. You know, <laughs> here we go. Here we go. I'm thinking. Come I'm on. thinking. It's a rivalry game. It's at home. 
the last time Kansas played at home, they played pretty well against Oklahoma. So I'm going to go ahead and take K-State to cover here. You mean, I mean, sorry, to Kansas to cover. Sorry. Uh, I'm going to take the Jayhawks to cover because the last time they played at home, this other for no other reason than they played well at home and this is a rivalry game. So okay. that's, that's my logic. All right. By this the is... way, the last last straight up win for Kansas in, in this uh, rivalry was uh, was 08. So the Mangino era, going going back to the Mangino era. Yeah, yeah I'm going to take Kansas State. Um, I think that one game against uh, OU was was very a weird game. It was uh, I, and and they haven't replicated that performance this year. So I don't I don't really expect that they will. I mean, again. I think Oklahoma's replicated that performance. But oh, you meant you meant Kansas? Re- okay, I, meant Kansas. I got you. I got I you. Meant Kansas. <laughs> Um, but maybe, maybe this, maybe they'll, uh, they'll, they'll pull the shocker and, uh, this will be really when the Lance Leipold era begins. Um, all right, guys, uh, we got three more here. Uh, all of all our future big 12 teams. We got Tulsa at number six, Cincinnati, Cincinnati, a 22 and a half point favorite. What do we think? Is that too many? Is that too many points? It has been the last two weeks. The Cincinnati's last two games haven't gone quite the way they would hope in terms of style points, but, and game day is going to be there. Game day is going to be there. That's going to be an interesting reception from the Cincinnati fan base when the ESPN cameras pan over. And I would curious to see what some of the signs may look like that have to get checked at the door for this one. Tulsa to me is just, I cannot figure out Tulsa for the life of me. There have been some games where they played really well, like when they played against, Against Ohio State earlier this year, they played really well. We're in that game. Uh, we're in that. We're in that game. And then Memphis, they won. They lost to Navy. So I d- I'm going to take Cincy to cover the 22 and a half, just because I can't figure out Tulsa. Yeah, I'm going to take Cincy to cover it as well. I don't think that like you really derive all your motivation from CFP rankings, but this would be a week to show up and say like, screw it, we're one of the best four teams. Let's go. Let's go. You know. Go out there, drop put fifty. A, yeah, put a drop a, a ton of points on them, and, and Tulsa's the kind of team that, uh, yeah, you're right. They're, they're, the the inconsistency is kind of hard to hard, hard to square there, Sam. And certainly they were, uh, weren't they? They were in the conference title game last year, right? They have yeah. not been good this year. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I think Cincinnati's going to cover that. Yeah, me too. I'm going to go with Cincinnati as well. Uh, two more to go here, guys. Houston at uh, South Florida. Houston, uh, thirteen and a half point favorite. Sam, I'll take I'll take Houston to cover. I'm I'm not I don't feel great about it because this is coming off the big emotional SMU win. This is one of those, and my alum it, alumni it feel, fellow it, Houston it, friends it's will a little they'll, trappy, they'll hate isn't me when it? I, it's a little they'll hate trappy. Me when, they'll hate me when I say it, but in Houston circles, they say they cooked it um, when they, when they lose a trap game like this. This is one of those situations where I wouldn't be stunned if it happened, but I still think that team is much better and. 13 feels like pretty manageable to cover on the road against a bad South Florida team. So I'll take Cougs to cover. Yeah. The night game in Tampa. Um, I think Houston will cover too, but I, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't be surprised if we were watching this one in the fourth quarter. <laughs> uh, I will, uh, I will also take Houston as well. And finally guys, we got Tulane, the one in seven green wave against you at UCF, uh, UCF, a 12 and a half point favorite Tulane. Obviously, one and seven. Their only win is against Morgan State, but you know they they covered against Oklahoma and uh, Cincinnati. So, what do we think? They I, they look pretty good against Houston too. I thought. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't. Give me, give me Tulane plus twelve and a half. Okay. Wow. All right. Love it. Wow. No, I can't. I, Tulane. There's been that so might many be a times, horrible pick. I'm already so many times it. where I have, I have, I have thought they were going to cover and they have not, and it's at the bounce house. UCF just flat out talent. Talent just flat out better. They're faster. I'm. I got UCF to cover on this. Yeah, me, me as well. I've been burned by Tulane too many times this year after watching them play well against OU. Oh, geez. Then- okay. All right. Oh, I'm changing it. I'm, oh, I'm, no, I'm changing no, it. no, 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 <laughs> no. Come no. on. Come on. Uh, fine. Fine. Stick to your guns. Stick to, stick to your gut, uh, man. Remember, you're 22 and 17 in the last few weeks. So, All right. Come on, Tulane. <laughs> if you switch it, if you switch it, UCF's going to crush them. You know, I mean, they're they're counting on you, Max. Uh-huh. That's right. Uh-huh. All you've right. Just, you've All just right. given the Green Wave some motivation. Uh, the Fighting Willie Fritzes. I don't feel good about this. All right, leave it. That's fine. Whatever. <laughs> all right, guys, that'll wrap up this episode of One True Pod. Thanks to both of you, and thanks as always to all of you out there for listening. We're here every Thursday in the Andy Staple Show and Friends feed. So if you haven't already, please subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find our stories on The Athletic. If you're still not a subscriber to The Athletic, you can sign up with our latest promotional offer at theathletic.com slash one true pod. That's theathletic.com slash O-N-E true pod. You're going to get comprehensive coverage of this Big 12 season, the future of the conference, and so much more. So now is a great time to sign up. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.